Yeah, it had big leg Newgrounds energy. Keyframes, a podcast about anime. I'm your host, Ben Halliburton, and with me today is Andy. Hey, hey. Duncan. Hey there. And Jeff. Yellow. As promised at the beginning, well, at the end, actually, of last episode, we are going to be talking about surrealism, and then we're going to be talking about some anime that may not be surreal, or they actually may be kind of surreal, but we won't cover them in our discussion topic first. Uh, Andy, you floated this topic uh, on surrealism, and I at least informally included absurdism. Uh, why did you pick this topic? What what does surrealism in anime mean to you? I mean, I find that surrealism in general is something that I really adore. Like, my favorite artists have always been like Salvador Dali or Ducamp or someone like that. I, I also find that the joy of animation is that stuff can so easily delve into the surreal so easily move from a literal thing to a metaphor to a visual element that you just can't do to the same degree when you've got real actors so for me surrealism is a big part of why i love anime why i love any cartoon Uh, just because you can so easily go off the rails visually and interpret things in a metaphor that doesn't just fit your normal actors so yeah surrealism is is incredible for me so much stuff is surrealism in anime like so many gag manga especially like early 2000s stuff which which then goes into absurdism like that so easily goes off into surrealism and the joke line is always something absurdist and it's such an easy thing to do in the drawn media because you don't have to have that tangible realness i was sort of thinking about surrealism and i started watching a show that i don't know if any of you have watched but certainly one that i really love Noche gu which almost certainly now, from an anime that was done in 2000, probably very un-PC, which is set in a jungle Amazon-esque village, but in modern day, and it's very weird, it's very surreal, it it doesn't quite work on many levels, but just the opening makes me, me laugh with all the crazy shit that goes on. Also, like... I guess, did you guys ever watch Bo-Bo-Bo-Bo-Bo-Bo-Bo-Bo-Bo? No, but I had the shit advertised out of it advertised out to me at a, in, at Cartoon Network when they got it or whatever. I always I always conflated it with like uh, Watanabe Shinichi animes, Nabe Shin stuff, because he also likes afros and thinks they're really funny. So, and In some cases, some of the gags are like when he, like the big gag was that like he'd open up his afro and there would be like some random shit underneath his hair. One of them just being like, one of the characters just living his life. It's like his own bedroom apartment. Uh, <laughs> and it's quite funny. But yeah, so I don't know. Uh, what what about you guys? How, how does surrealism deal with you? Is it something that you really look forward to in an anime or not? Well, for me at least, I'm not a big comedy person when it comes to live action TV and movies. Um, I have a very specific sense of humor that usually involves making myself laugh or identifying someone in a conversation who has the same sense of humor as me and then fishing for laughs, which is an unhealthy tendency. So when I started watching anime, I was surprised that a lot of anime humor clicked for me. And a lot of that is because the parts of anime humor that aren't mostly pratfalls um, are often extremely surrealist. And like one of my favorite shows of all time, Simon Rosetsuba Sensei, has a heavily surrealist element to its humor, 
that kind of relieves from its premise of this really depressed guy complaining about all the tiny different ways that modern society is miserable and ruins you. Uh, I think of the premiere to the the second season, which is by far my favorite episode of Saturn Sets by Sensei, where we have this completely nonsense alternate retelling where he is a like pyramid marketing scheme guy who gets bloody noses when he sees lotus roots or beautiful women and then he gets kidnapped <laughs> by this mysterious organization named Hamsho which sounds like uh, an actual cult but it it ends up standing for um dancing naked on the beach while covering yourself in piss is like the is like the abbreviation um and they turn him into a beast man and he's and he's like please turn me to something cool like a mole man or a porcupine man they're like just for that we're turning into a cricket man he's like no not a cricket man and then the second half of the episode he's just a teacher again um after he flee after he flees them as a half cricket man and the normal girl gets a challenge from the uh, Hikikomori girl, she's like, it's easy to stay at home all the time. She's like, oh, yeah, well, why don't you stay at school after hours? And then she gets really freaked out staying at school after hours, which ends with the best mm-hmm. part of Sirens that's supposed to say, apologize for spoilers, uh, where uh, Kafka Fura sends, sings a very creepy version of Trauma Ray, where she's made up her own lyrics for it. What's Trauma Ray? It's a very popular, uh, I think it's... I forget what Traumare is. Schumann uh, is the uh, is the classical composer, but she's made up these lyrics that are like a man standing in a hole half his height, a woman a woman wearing a dirty cat skin. All the children are gone from the neighborhood now, and it's just in those little lyrics. <laughs> so I don't know. I I before I got all the reference humor that is the third pillar, I think, of, of Japanese humor, of Japanese humor and anime, at least, which is pratfalls, surrealism, and references. Before I got all the references that largely make up the humor for Sinor Setsuba Sensei, just the weirdness and the complete non sequitur. And absurdist humor and surrealist humor often ends up setting up a premise where you know it's how it's going to re- re- resolve and either it resolves in an unexpected way or it denies you the resolution. That's usually how the action of absurdist humor works. And that's very funny for me. And as you said, Andy, like the weird fluid nature of animation and the fact that they don't have to pertain to what they can physically get someone to do, or at least get a computer animator to animate that it's all, it's all made from the same cloth uh, means that they can, they can push it pretty far. And I'll be bringing up other examples as, as we continue in this topic, but yeah, that's what surrealism means to me in anime. That and like Satoshi Kone and and Masaki Yuasa. Yeah, and Masaki Yuasa does such great surrealism in like uh and what was that one ways in a whale? Mind, Mind games. games. You know the one you you had us watch, Andy. <laughs> I didn't have you watch. Wait, no, John made us watch that. I think John picked Mind Games, but Andy pitched it. I believe that's the I believe that's the history. I will take your word for that. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> You're implicated somehow, Andy, as per normal. Uh, Yeah, part of the course. (laughs) Mind Games is where my mind went first when this topic was raised because it does just feel like a a dream. Like like we talked at the time that Mind Games' plot is that someone is shot and are we seeing his life flash between in front of his eyes or are we seeing God intervene with the universe in some way? And like that's that's to me an interesting way to approach surrealism, because it's it's saying there's two ways this reality could be, 
it's either if it's in your mind or if it's God fucking with you. <laughs> and surrealism is is that sense of the, of like this world isn't making sense, and yet it makes sense to someone. That someone's just not you. Mind Games really explores that well in that we don't necessarily know where it's going, but God, aka Yuasa, does, and it's. I think it lends itself to auteurs. I think it's not not a coincidence that when Ben immediately mentions Khan and Yuasa, and like that, the fact that these two people who got themselves a reputation and had enough control to make films the way they wanted to were able to do it. I don't think it's something you can really do in a, a series as well as you can do in a film because of the just the constraints of showing something on a network as opposed to just having a one, two hours just to do whatever you you did. I know me and Andy both, and I think uh, Ben as well, I don't know about Jeff, all watched uh, Cat Soup. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna also just add. The, I mean, the human brain is designed and adapted to make sense out of everything it's seeing and find patterns where there is none, and mm. sort of yeah, all this correlation stuff. And that's what's so great about surrealism and like, like all the works that you've mentioned is that it, it is doing that. Like your brain is trying to see and pick out semblance and pick out stuff that it can understand, and then using that as a base. It sort of. Like when you talk about paprika and like that army of like odd things walking through the the dreamscape, like that is very much like it's all weird, it's all slightly disjointed, but they're all things that you recognize and understand, which just makes it interesting. Similarly, with like Cat Soup, which I think everybody watched. Uh, so, Cat Soup on the surface, it's about a, a brother cat um, trying to save his sister cat by restoring the second part of her soul. Um, and going through hell in order to do it. But then the imagery that, that you're given is actually really interesting stuff. When she walk, they walk through the desert after losing the elephant. So the sunset on that, the, the horizon is really high. It's about four-fifths from the bottom, which is abnormal for a sort of uh, horizon line. They're usually about halfway or below, which is interesting for me because I was just like, why have they put that horizon line so high up why are the cats then also walking on the horizon line and there's so much sand underneath it to sort of i guess designate like flow of time like how they're feeling it like lots of weird surrealist things and then you got the pig also that they kill like that in itself is a metaphor because uh i guess i was reading some other stuff where people were saying like in japanese society chinese people are considered pigs so it could be a way of saying embodying how japanese people hypernationalism yeah like you because they literally cat they usually use the pig to carry them across and then they hit him for food and sustenance and then eventually they kill the pig in which case they just sort of hit it some more and then move on it's very it's a very strange like thing but then with that series of events you then try to apply meaning and try to look to reflections on the real world look at it as like the environment as well like how we are abusing nature and beating it to death and we'll eventually have to leave it behind <laughs> it's it's interesting that the the very first scene of cat soup is the the younger brother cat like has dropped his uh toy car in in like the bath and is is reaching down to to pick it up and basically falls face first into the bath and one one interpretation I, i've seen of, of that scene is that 
essentially he's drowning or or dying, and that the rest of 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 the thing is once again his um his life flashing before his eyes. So it's 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 con going back to <laughs> back to that a few years later. Yeah. Um. But I I it was quite fun because um I, the director commentaries are up on YouTube for Cat Soup, and it was interesting seeing both where there was deliberate action and where they were just winging it. And like <laughs> some, some parts it was just like, well, because it, it's an adaptation of a manga, there's, mm. uh, the original was far more bloody and, and more violent than, uh, than they are and was far more shocking. But um, Yuasa uh, uh, was sort of, although though you wouldn't think of it now, he, he was sort of put off by that and felt like people wouldn't watch it. And that his response in- instead is is sort of to make the violence itself absurd. Uh, circus act where someone's cut up into pieces, and then God slash a, a an old man get whirls her up into the air and and, and sort of like spins all the body pieces round the the circus tent, covering everyone in gore, and then just claps his hands and she's back in one piece. And it's like it sort of diffuses all all. all all that gore. Although the director then goes on and says that like the one part of the the film he almost felt felt they did too well was there's a part where um the 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 cat gets his his hand bit off by the the pig towards the end after he's just finished beating what remains of his skin into the desert and like gets his, it gets it sewed back on by an old old woman. The sound effects and the the animation for that is is actually compared to the rest of the film, quite detail-orientated. Like, you're watching, like, the skin bunch up as she puts the needle through it. And it's like this this moment where this very unconstrained by physics and, and reality the animation decides, okay, now I'm going to emphasise what flesh is like when this needle going through it. And, like... That was kind of like interesting to see within the same thing. Body horror both emphasised with the unspectacular and trivialised with the spectacular, which is off, often the opposite of it. Like, because I think at least maybe when I first came to anime, anime was semi notorious for over the top blood and stuff, mm. and like it's nice to see uh, uh, that subverted. It's really interesting, and I think I've talked about this dozens of times on this podcast. How the way that Western companies had to figure out how to sell anime to an audience led to a lot of very like, because if you, at least when I was in high school, if I told my parents I was watching anime, they would either assume that, yeah, it was some hyper, some hyper violent slasher fest or that I was watching tentacle porn hentai and lying to them about it. (laughs) Like there, there are a very specific amount of vectors. And I do think it's interesting that humor that like hyper violence, extremely weird humor and sex are the three ways that you sell anime to Americans, I guess. So and cute, cute animals, Ben. Cute animals. Don't forget. That. I think that goes under extremely weird sex. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, coming into uh, this topic, like anime, I find li- likes to lean on the surrealistic, on the uh, like the world building side of things but very rarely is comfortable leaving things like unresolved or undetermined or unexplained in the show. And cat soup 
really gave me sort of a vibe of like those weird 70s animations from france where Mm. it would just be like a series of uncomfortable images and weird music that you never really got much of an explanation out of uh Mm. compared to something like like you know the instrumentality sequence in the uh, end of Ava, where you're being bombarded with like strange images without explanation, but it's still grounded in an ultimately like explained world. And it's it's rare. I've, I mean, maybe this is just my own inexperience with anime in general, but I, in my experience, it's been rare to see the surrealism break out of just the world building and be comfortable being front and center as part of the show itself like with cat soup like you were saying before like like i associate surrealism with you know the the weird acid driven like auteur driven movies from the 70s and 60s and you know that you know the business of movies at the time being what it was where there was lots of like auteurs being just sort of trusted by studios to do what they were going to do, who were then also allowed to rule over their production with an iron fist and also would like to partake in all kinds of extracurricular chemicals and just sort of putting what they saw on paper and Nekojiro being, you know, pretty overtly, you know, a product of the original mangaka's uh, dreams and you know possible other drug-related experiences like <laughs> marks it as different from something like an absurdist comedy where i i find like even when anime comedies are absurd it's usually within a sort of like a constrained way like an expected way it's very rare for a show to to get so weird that you don't really see it coming like like Ben was saying anime tends to like tends to like like to mix in reference as much as it likes to mix in absurdism. And so like often yeah. the, the absurdism is hinged on references to other things. And again with Cat Soup, it was it was it was interesting to see something that was so weird and it's sort of not surprising that it came from like, cause like it's it, it was a short film. It wasn't like a major production, right? With like a very small team. Yeah, thirty minute OVA with a very like strong, uh, creative team at the head. And you know, it's it, it maybe it's just that it's rare in the industry that that mix is allowed to happen. And you know, Yuasa and Khan are like some of the few people who have been able to do it multiple times, just because they've developed enough of a reputation to be trusted. I mean, it's also worth mentioning that it did have a fairly high profile, so it was going to be... Um, the sad thing is about uh, Cat Soup is that the mangaka actually committed suicide yeah. um, after shortly after it was broadcasted, um, and then... I, I thought she was, she was dead before it. I could be wrong. But it was like shortly after the manga was published, and then the movie came out about three years later. Yeah. She she commit she uh she passed away in 1998 and Cat Soup is 2001. I find it interesting that you, I mean, it's very obvious to use drugs as a as a standpoint for this sort of surrealism, but I would be mm. interested to know how much she was it she had 
influence under psychedelics given japan's really stringent drug laws i mean obviously that stuff exists yeah, I, I i think we would never actually know mm, yeah because the, 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 the in the in the interviews the director basically went out of his way to say we did not use any drugs or anything like that no not us no sarisa we would not dare touch that so we, we had to show that his exact line was was we have to show that this kind of imagery can be created without the benefit of substances and so if there's one person who can was do it that, like a me thinks thou doth protest yeah, too much kind of situation there's a, a, a little bit of that but um i mean there was that that one every time a actor in japan is found touching coke he immediately gets written off and cancelled so i would be surprised and unsurprised if they were or were not like I, I think I think that speculating on drug use is is an extremely useless exercise. I do want to say I do want to say though that speaking of Hyoge Mono, uh, the opening music changes abruptly after the third episode, after the fourth episode, and it's because one of the band members of the song that is the OP uh, was uh, was arrested on suspicion of violating Japan's cannabis control law. And therefore, they changed the entire OP. Because one person in the band had been arrested under suspicion of, of marijuana. So um, I so I don't think we can say like, oh, he protests too much. It sounds like you need to protest a lot to make sure, yeah. to make sure that, that stuff doesn't go through. Because yeah, those sort of accusations, I guess, will be rife when you try, try to do serious stuff like Katsu. Yeah. Um, but I, I do want to say, so uh, I, I hear what you're saying, Jeff. I do want to observe that like... So, like, one of the Shaft in Akiyuki Shinbo, or Simbo, apparently, works uh, is Arakawa Under the Bridge. And I think a lot of what this made me think of is that a lot of uh, absurdist humor, at least, and we can go back to just absurdist anime art in general, but a lot of absurdist humor uh, relies on a kind of extrapolation of the Bokeh Tsukomi uh, thing, where... The uh, the bokeh can can just be like a, a clueless or like spacey person, or it can be someone who's just like openly transgressing societal laws. And I think that Arakawa under the bridge, especially um, even among Shaft stuff, which often uses formalistic uh, techniques, both visual and auditory, to to distance uh, the to distance the uh, audience and make them realize that they are in a in a crafted fictional piece of work but narakara under the bridge we've got this guy whose life is saved by this weird girl who is uh who is rough sleeping under a bridge by a waterway um and he says awesome well i i always repay a debt so let me know and she's like oh i want you to move in and be my boyfriend and he's like okay and so he like meets this weird cast of people who live under the bridge but the entire axis of humor there, until actually quite late in the show, until in the second season, is literally just like, why aren't these people acting normal? Where, where there is a series of very distinct social expectations, and the humor is just having him expect things or ask things or have conversations under the assumption that certain that certain words or certain actions or certain situations are universally communicable, um, like. He has this thing where Nino, the girl, keeps breaking into his apartment uh, that that is under the bridge uh, to sleep in his bed. And he like he wants them to get closer. So he's like, hey, why don't you come sleep with sleep here instead? And she's like, oh, OK. And then like an hour later, she shows up with all her stuff and she's like, OK, you can go sleep in my tent um, <laughs> further down. Um, 
I really appreciate you trading rooms. Your place is much nicer. And it's just, it's like, it's not particularly funny, but it's just like, he had an expectation that like, hey, you should sleep here means means one thing and not the other. And I think a lot, a, a lot of Japanese humor, because it is such a like hierarchical and like kind of mannered society, a lot of it, a lot of it is, it's just asking something, someone to do something very normal and they do something very weird in response and you're too polite to say, what are you, do- what are you doing? Um <laughs> Or you hit them with a big paper fan. Yeah. <laughs> and that is a type of humor that doesn't really exist in, in America, at least. To some extent, it does. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, there's the, like, the, the, the giant shadow cast by Monty Python over it all. Yeah. Um, she, she's like the... I guess, like, we had a, a, t- a very obvious attempt to be a successor from things like uh, The Mighty Boosh a few years back, but... Yeah, they faded to nothing. They didn't really have any endurance. Um, but I, I think just to, before we move off Catsuit completely, the director said something else which uh, I felt was interesting, which was he originally wanted it to be only 20 minutes because he felt that when you are doing something where you're just essentially transitioning from scene to scene and asking the audience to just like interpret that scene before you move on to the next one and asking them to interpret to that. He th- he felt like after 20 minutes or so, that was going to be too much for people that the longer it went, that the more uh, fatigued people would be from having to, having to engage with it in order to get anything out of it. Surrealism requires engagement. It's not something you can passively enjoy. It's something you have to in- invest in. And like um, Saina or Zetsubo Sensei is uh, an interesting one because it it made me want to find out what these references it, it, it was making. Like, what? okay, that's strange, but why is he saying it? And like, it's sort of... I think surreal surrealism can, can drag you in and and make you think, okay, oh, that's that's crunchy. Why is that that way? I think Cat Soup was interesting because I didn't really feel like investigating it. I was kind of happy just to let it pass in front of my eyes and enjoy the, the strangeness passing rather than trying to get a hold of it, which for me is a distinctly non-normal reaction. I will normally try and gr- grapple something to the ground to force some sort of meaning out of it, but Katsoup just kind of felt intangible, and it's rare to find... Maybe to to go to what Jeff was saying, it's rare to find uh, anime where they don't have to have some meaning lurking away in the background, where they do just let the surrealism be the totality and where you can't sort of dig for meaning where you where it is just strange and weird i and i that made me in turn think of but uh, just to stop you there Duncan, i do think that there is stuff to interpret yeah. in catsuit but like you said it is purely on the viewer as to whether they are going to interpret mm. it at all um a lot of i feel that a lot of the stuff was metaphors for climate for the way that we as humans, you mm. know, approach how we are living our lives and, and how we're destroying the world and all this kind of stuff. But then again, that, you know, you could view any of those sort of scenes as 
as other other ways of viewing the self, the the id, like loads yeah. of things. And that's why it was good, but also why you can view it passively as well, because it's not explicitly saying this is what I'm trying to get yeah. at at this particular scene. It's just saying if you find something meaningful in this, then that's that's fine. Yeah, and also like it's Katsub also likes to linger on like horror like horrific images and like sadism in a way that is deeply uncomfortable but also peppering that with kindness like the two main characters being cats you sort of get that feeling of like you know if you've ever seen a cat in its natural element you know it's either a little cuddle bug with things that it likes or it's just a sadistic murderer with things that it doesn't like and that also you know can and, and, and like, and when you see that embodied in a cat, you know, you sort of are trained culturally to make that partition and be like, okay, you know, I love my cat, even though he does these terrible things. And when you juxtapose that with like the man in the house in the desert who is doing, you know, similar acts, he's, he's much more horrifying than the cats who you just watched murder an innocent pig man for no good reason. Or, you know, or if you also have God, you know, seemingly all powerful, but also entirely careless and just doing things for his own pleasure without really caring about how it affects the world around, like, you know, it affects the world that all the people are forced to live in and it not bothering to say explicitly what all these things mean, like, you know, like like an anime that's comfortable with leaving you uncomfortable and maybe slightly sickened like like it isn't worried about you hating it which i think is a f- not not like i think i think there's an aspect of that in a lot of especially very commercial manga where at the end of the day you have to like somebody in it you have to like something in it mm. and they're not willing to just let things fester they have to either explain it away or soften it in some way, which cat soup does not. Supposedly in the manga, Jeff, um, the god is a far more openly uh, malignant and vicious being. Like, he, he is he is openly cruel, um, and apparently that's one of the things they, they scaled back, making it more mysterious and unknowable. Like, a fo- the phrase they used was, this force which acts upon you, whether you like it or not. And rather than one which acts with actual malice. The other thing I was going to mention was, like, I guess, there's a narrative thread that you're following, which was the this cat trying to save um, his sister's soul. And so with that, there's always going to be a level of sympathy, because even though he's doing some really horrific stuff, there's still a level of good that he's trying to achieve from that, which you don't necessarily get from the guy who is looks like he's killing cats and then sewing them together in a very disgusting, like, morgue-like uh, body horror stuff. Um, but you never know his story. His story could also be a, a one of good as well. Like, yeah, there was that... actually, actually a really interesting comment to that, in that the, uh, Yurasa apparently, described, uh, when describing that character, said explicitly that she is a good woman, but she's misunderstood. She's he, she's putting together these people, but it's seen as horrific. So she's actually she's 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 the nicest character in in the in the the tale. 
is what he said. But she's just because she does this gruesome stuff, she's seen yeah. as repugnant. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of like what Jeff was saying into uh, how cats look nice but are vicious. Whereas this is kind of the office opposite someone who looks then like the a man crow. in the house who like like he he provides them with entertainment and food, but the way he does it is that he ties a bird to a stake mm. and has it fly around with oil on it and then sets it on fire until it dies and then serves the cats the food and the cats are like totally into it because that's the kind of thing a cat loves to do. Mm. But having that done that by a man bird. makes it just that much more horrific. No, he doesn't serve that particular bird, but he, yeah, he uses that bird as entertainment, which is yeah. even more cattish because cats will kill just for entertainment rather than just for food. We're mm-hmm. getting deep into cat psychology. Yeah, yeah much, like, <laughs> much like humans, cats kill for sport. So. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was fine. I, I, it felt very much... Like, if I had never heard of Yuasa, I would have been forced to invent him after seeing this seeing this piece of work because it's a very Yuasa thing. Um, I do like the. I think that the curiosity about the divine and the attempt to kind of frame frame absurd or cruel events on like a corkboard. That's like, oh, this is all because of some all-powerful being who cares or doesn't care or cares the wrong way. Um, like th- even this, even the idea that the guy taking his taking uh, his soul, which is some um, Shinigami equivalent from the Buddhist tradition, like he doesn't give uh, Nyata her whole soul. He lets lets him rip off half, and he's like, get this flower for the other half, and then walks off with his half, as if like there is some there is like even inscrutability in the in the way that the anime depicts like the cosmic functioning beyond God spilling half of his uh, like earth grapefruit into the mechanisms of time and causing things to go haywire. I was, uh, go ahead. I was going to say that I think it's kind of interesting when you have directors like um, uh, Khan or um, Yuasa who take works and adapt them. So like we've also on this show covered the knighted short walk on girl mm-hmm. which is very much a tale it's kind of I, I don't know if i'd call it almost arabian nights ish where it's like someone telling multiple tales of one night out and and how it it's strange and the strange logic behind that and i think it's where the line between in, in surrealism and magical realism is is kind of interesting to me because I feel like magical realism is at times soft surrealism, like certainly in when Yuasa uses it, but for sh- even in shows which are far more um, ostentatiously sensible, like uh, um, Eccentric Family, there you go, um, uh, where they will still. Because they are um, tanuki, they can transform into anything, and occasionally they'll transform into very absurd things. And he, even in like this show, which is just fairly magical real, it still has these um, moments where it sort of establishes its unreal tropes by doing something particularly surreal. I, and I wonder if like it at times surrealism's used as a cheap way of get, getting the audience to go ah this isn't real okay we've established that with that and 
we can now sort of dial we now have established anything goes and so now we can be a bit more subtle and it doesn't feel as jarring after that initial thing it's like a big bang and then everyone's like oh oh okay and you can be yeah. a bit quieter after i do think that con- communicating the unreality of a scene is difficult in anime where everything is everything is on a very literal sense unreal i was actually this is not the same thing but maybe we can dovetail these two these two uh topics but i was thinking specifically of the trend especially in the in the early 2000s to have like one trippy or drug episode in a perfectly normal scene in like the mushroom <laughs> episode from cowboy bebop yeah like that's mm-hmm. the that's the surreal episode par excellence um and the way that they have to do that is like color filters and weird music and characters acting completely out of character because you can't just have something weird happen. People will take it as part of the show's fiction, um, which actually I think I think goes all the way back to to Jeff saying that like the the actions may be this the surrealness has to be baked into the setting um, to mm, let the yeah. let the plot proceed forward. So when there's a break from that, you have to kind of communicate it. Yeah, there's a, it requires a level of trust also, like not only in the production staff, but in the audience that, like, it, unless a, a director can just say, this is what's going to happen, fuck you. Like, it's like, even if you can put it into words, it then becomes explicable and stops being surrealistic. Unless you're capable of, you know, unless you're, like, willing to just say, we're going to do this because it's weird and it's going to make people uncomfortable. And you will just keep doing it until I say you got it right. Uh, and as an example of like how that can backfire, we can see the response to Endless Eight in Haruhi, where where like <laughs> airing yeah. airing the exact same episode with different like completely animated completely differently is an extremely like surreal and absurdist effort, and people hated it because it wasn't. I feel like it, a big reason was it wasn't openly communicated to them that this was the kind of reality that they were entering into. Yeah. Do, do mm-hmm. you guys think surrealism, We or at least we notice surrealism more when it's loud than when it's quiet? Because Endless 8 would be a good example of quiet surrealism almost. Mm-hmm. I sort of wonder uh, if, like, um, uh, something like the creatures in Mushushi are actually very surreal in some ways, but it's so quiet and so meditative that I, I shy I away from thing- describing it as that. Yeah, that was one thing I wanted to bring up because there's there's a number of shows, you know, including the you know the big one, Monogatari, that I will I'm fated to bring up in every conversation. <laughs> the the idea of spiritual creatures that react to the way that they are interpreted, but so many shows do that, but they also codify it as being part of the rules of the world. So like in something like Mushishi, you know, he, he understands how they work. And so they stop being mysterious and mm-hmm. they start just being yeah. an yeah. aspect of the natural world. They like, you know, they by default stop being supernatural because they're explainable. And then also, I guess by that extension, kind of less surreal because it's a world mm-hmm. that now we codify as well and we can understand. Um, yeah. Whereas uh, if there was a version of Mushishi where it was just like, you know, the titular Mushishi didn't show up. And everybody is just subjected to these like horrifying things until they either go away or everybody is dead. Then it that sa- then that it then it say Jeff. Jeff I was yeah. going to say that that sounds basically like uh, um, Junji Ito. Damn almost. it, damn it, Duncan! I okay, yeah. yeah I so. I thought that too. I'm also smart. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> to the punch, Duncan. Ruined everything. Yeah, yeah, and like that surrealistic cosmic horror is something that. 
like I don't I don't know that it is like largely imported from the Western fiction or if it's just that it's not very well represented in the the stuff that gets localized for here. But you know, like surrealistic horror is almost like a genre unto itself, whereas something that's just unsettling and is just there to make you upset and not like specifically genre fair is I don't know, it just seems very, very rare to me outside of, you know, one person being able to Im- impose their creative vision on something. Before we go off Mushishi and- um, completely, uh, there's this, what you said about, about how, as it becomes more explained, they they lose their surrealness almost. Like, the, the more detailed and the more not of Ginkgo's knowledge we, we get... The more they just start to seem like other 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 bugs, and it's interesting that that the show itself sort of acknowledges that that it that mm-hmm. when they write down uh, when the the Namushishi write down stuff about the Namushi themselves, the words start to live, and you have this one episode which is set in this storehouse full of these scrolls with living, where the, the beings themselves have been written down and come alive in the text and I, I i love how it sort of acknowledges what it's doing and yet plays with it mm. Mm. yeah and even that is like it's it's almost a trope because there's like there's book of friends that has a very similar conceit to it i was gonna say the other like as far as other um surrealist shows go like um I think that's why foodie coolie caught a lot of interest and why we were then upset subsequently by the um the sequels is because yeah. That is surrealism, and, and that doesn't explain things. That leaves everything open. And, and then they made two sequels to completely explain what, what, was, what was happening and build yeah. a lore out of the weird one-off jokes that we got. Um, yeah. And, and the other one was uh, like XL Saga, I think, as mm-hmm. far as absurdism. Like, that... I don't like... I still don't think I like XL Saga that much. It's Aww. definitely of a weird comedy in the 2000s which sold itself on how lol random it is, and then actually there's... I mean... I, I will always argue this that that the as it was conceived in Japan, not as it was advertised to to white people, uh, it was a show where they changed genre every single episode, and so they had a ba- like it was a baseball anime one episode, and it was this anime episode, and doesn't particularly work um, at all points because there are no characters, so it's literally just watching the different like visual archetypes slotted in. But what we get from Excel Saga is Puni Puni Poemi, which is a two-episode OVA made from inside jokes about the voice actors and production staff in Excel Saga, where the uh, where where um, where Excel's voice actress um, decides that she is Nabishin's daughter and moves in with them, and then finds out that she's a magical girl who can transform with this like half-eaten fish skeleton, and teams up with seven seven other characters, all voiced by based on and voiced by characters in the show who have special powers trained from extremely powerful to completely useless. Like one girl's power, she can always fall perfectly on her back, no matter, no matter, no matter where she falls from. It's, it's great when there's an explosion. She just like kind of falls backwards onto her back and then stands up and does a, uh, Pumi Pumi is not, is not like, is not show your friends funny, but it's a good like way to kind of like, it's an extra burst of absurdity after you've watched Excel Saga, I think is, is how I would sell it. I, I thought you were going to talk about the other Excel Saga OVA. Oh, there's another. Oh, yeah. The one that they couldn't air. Yes. Because <laughs> it was too much. Because it was the, the genre was porn. So they couldn't, <laughs> so they couldn't air that episode. 
Speaking of Puni Puni Poemi, I feel like the the clearest successor of that, like the super unmoored absurdist stuff, is in shorts. Like uh, no one's talked about TQ here, but I don't think I actually think anyone's watched TQ except for maybe Andy uh, has watched a couple. I've watched a couple. I thought you were actually going to go more with Me Me Me, um, that animation short part of the Young Animator series. Um, yeah, well, that's also another one, but I I think that TQ spe- specifically in terms of like. The humor angle yeah. is is what I think of. Where TQ is just like there's no there's no the premise is there a tennis club there's no other premise and whatever the joke is for the next minute and thirty seconds between the extremely sped up OP and the extremely sped up ED like and they don't even do tweening it's just like cutting between keyframes yeah. because it's all really cheap it's there's like a hundred of them you can watch them all in an afternoon you will probably get really burnt out. The other good shout is uh, Plastic Nissan as well. Yes, Plastic Nissan is similar TQ energy. It's so like weird surrealism, but then grounded in a school, grounded in a soft softball club, or yeah, the premise has to be iron. Like like Jeff observed from the beginning, the premise has to be ironclad, even if they're going to just do weird shit in the middle of it. So is Space yeah. Patrol Luluco that sort of thing, or is it too heavy into its references? Because it it kind of follows a similar template to the way you were describing the way the the in-jokes are which both um uh yeah it's kind of puni puni poemi yeah. for trigger yeah, at yeah. large <laughs> circa 2014 or whatever what, what a what a deep pile of references that sentence is <laughs> i guess like that makes me in the in turn think of inferno cop yeah which which <laughs> inferno cop is where is where i think like the 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 threshold between absurd and just kind of dumb just kind of like openly dumb <laughs> between absurd and dumb like like is like is dr mcninja absurdist i don't know but kind of but it's also just kind of dumb i don't know i also think this is, has to be the episode with if there was a keyframe drinking game you would be completely wasted by now like the number of hot takes we've done on yes on favorite and bring and bring them. up each of our individual bugbears. So uh, <laughs> Andy brought up me me me. I brought up. Yeah, but like, I haven't brought up any Ikuhara though. Yeah, Ikuhara I, also goes into surreal. I, yeah, which I, mean, I think I thought you were going to bring up Sadazamai at least. Like yeah, the constant. I mean, I could bring, I could bring up Hinamatsuri. I can bring up a lot of like. There's just like a lot of like subtly weird anime where I feel like they have absurdist elements, but I wouldn't necessarily sell. Sarazan might as someone as an abs- an, ab- an absurdist or surreal anime like it has surreal elements but it's ultimately like a, a fairly coherent story um yeah. anal beads mm-hmm. and That's transforming true. into kappa aside yeah so I, but this is this is the thing like i think this is this is why i feel people can be so turned off by anime as well because it so frequently delves into the surreal and even if you're talking about i guess what could be considered hallmark like what is considered hallmark's classic of anime like spirited away like that is an incredible mm. film, but so much of it, if you're, you've never, like, not even any mm. knowledge on Japanese folklore or traditions, like, that just feels so weird and surreal. And then when you sort of, and that is interesting and exciting, and then you sort of learn about more of their, like, their touch points, and, and, you, and it becomes more, I guess, cemented in some sort of fiction and truth that you therefore didn't know. And I, I think that is also why anime is so attractive because it is, you know, a whole bunch of stories from a different culture that's so devoid from Western media um, mm-hmm. that makes it yeah. I was going to say like and interesting. Yeah, like like I think a lot of anime reads as absurd to us because we're so unfamiliar with the things that it's touching yeah. on. 
And one of the things that makes getting into anime kind of alienating to other people because you start making those connections, but it's impossible to communicate them to anybody around you because they only see, you know, either the most, you know, outrageous stereotypes like, like, you know, Pooty Pooty Poemi, you know, it's, it's a whole bunch of in jokes and references, but it's also like part of the running joke is like the weird, like, preteen yuri sort of relationship yeah and like like there's like the overt hoardiness and it's like that's just kind of a thing that happens in anime and it's not necessarily like you know even when it's a sex thing it's not necessarily a sex thing and when it's not a sex thing it's always totally a sex thing <laughs> and yeah nothing's better than than being like oh don't worry they're making fun of it by including it it's it's very it's lampshading it's literally yeah. lampshading so but at the same time, you know, just showing somebody that and saying, okay, you know, this is within the realm of expectation. This is not it being horribly transgressive. It's just that they have different, you know, different tastes and different expectations. But yeah, like, I think part of the reason why, you know, Westerners go weeb and start getting into anime is because those things are attractive and not alienating and not like... <laughs> And not like, and not, it, 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 and not like, you know, it doesn't like trigger the disgust reaction as hard in some people. And so you sort of like acclimatize yourself to it, you know, back when I, you know, back in the day when I said, you know, my guitar, it sounds like it just boils you like a frog into being a bad person and drink. Maybe there is something to it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I definitely agree. Cause I, one of the weirdest things about being a big fan of Star Wars that's supposed to say was watching it and being like, wow, this is an anime where just like anything can happen. And it all like, it all like everything just seems so totally random. This is such a random anime. R A R A N D U M X D sort of random. And then, I bought the manga and I watched it again and I read more of the manga and I realized that like a lot of the stuff that's really random is just like really specific um, petty references. Like there's this one specific architect that Koji Kumita thinks has like overly flashy glasses and he like references like architects with flashy glasses all the time. And there's this one professor uh, at Tokyo University who got like fired and disbarred because he was caught with a... Um, like a, a mirror on a stick in his bag on the subway. And he references that. He references that situation all the time. And when you don't know that specific piece of cultural baggage, it feels like surrealism because someone's just bringing up something. And granted, once you do know it, it is still kind of weird that he's writing this, that he's, that he's this, this thing's happening in 2010. And he's referencing a guy who hasn't been in the public eye since 2006. Uh, <laughs> But of course, time now is a bit a bit more awash, so it's hard to see those things. But it is funny, like surrealism is often in the eye of the beholder, because if you know what to expect, it automatically becomes less surreal. And to the point that I think that like Fooly Cooly, for example, like I know it's being wacky, but a lot of it I wouldn't necessarily call surreal qua surreal at this point, like switching to manga, the sw switching to like the manga panels and then complaining that the manga panels were too expensive to make. It's just a very normal joke for anime to make, I feel like, or at least just any sort of finance joke that, that anime loves to make about how something's too expensive. Yeah. And how they never get paid enough and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 And how all the cars are bad people. Yeah. And... <laughs> well, while we're on craft, do you guys think that maybe we're sort of in a, a strange golden age for um, more like surreal and expressive animation? Because... One of the things they talked about uh, once again in the Cat's Soup uh, director's commentary is the it was done one it was a very early uh, digital animation, and what they talked about is 
is how that gave them freedom to delete and just start from from, from fresh and do and do really expressive things and sort of animate on the fly almost. Whereas if you're animating with cells, each drawing is money. Every single thing you draw yeah. has to be deliberate because it's money. But with digital, each drawing is just—it's just a drawing. It's—it's it's just time is what you're using, but nothing else. And that I think maybe has allowed more freeform surrealism into anime of the past past twenty or so years than perhaps existed before it. And I wonder if maybe we're going to see less of that because the more um, CGI works its way into anime, that in turn is a very deliberate technique. It is it is once again constructing something. Each model you make has to be constructed so it obeys certain rules and surrealism doesn't like rules. And so... Mm. But those models can be broken just as much as they can be yeah. made. Like I, I mean, look at Jujutsu Kaisen. Like with the last episode we had was completely surrealism. They weren't even there mm. technically on the planet, but then they went into separate individual planets. I think that's that's I, that's what I feel like. Where that's that's a stretch, Andy. I don't think that was surrealism. Uh, I I, there is surrealist elements in that whole fight, and if you're telling me that it's there's none whatsoever, I don't know what is surrealist. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think I think like w- like the observation that the technology allows for more uh, creative freedom is also being balanced out by the market for anime being more clamped down, being more like like the like the fat being cut. Like a lot of the reason that CGI is being used is because it's cheaper, mm-hmm. and you have like production houses that spec you know that specialize in you know, in just cars or in just yeah. people walking in the background and being able to coordinate all those people in a way that's cost efficient to deliver like a unique vision becomes that much more difficult because you have to, like I was saying before, like you have to be able to communicate something very easily and efficiently and quickly. Yeah. And that requires, you know, a, a it requires a lot of trust from the, you know, the people above them to be allowed to do those kinds of weird stuff and also to be able to communicate it properly below you. And I think like, like the number of people who are in a, in a place to do that and want to do that are going to be smaller and smaller. But if you also have an appetite for things like, uh, like Inferno cop or something like that, where you can just be weird on a shoestring, then yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I do. I do think that the the various ways that the that the uh, anime industry has like contracted and streamlined means that we are probably if Cowboy Bebop were made today, it would not have the mushroom episode because it wouldn't it wouldn't have the time it wouldn't have the number of episodes and it wouldn't have the inclination I think to go that far off message. When you have thirteen episodes, you okay, don't have a, you don't have a, a drug episode. To, to you, I say you're not allowed. You're not allowed to bring up Secret Trifa because Secret Trifa's special, Duncan. <laughs> I, I was, I was going to bring up. That's why I'm happy it's airing this season. Uh, I don't know whether you've watched Children of the Sea, but there is. A, uh, I, I I have it on my list. Uh, there, it's not fantastic, but. There is. I've also heard that, <laughs> but there is. It hasn't stopped me somehow. Uh, it, I mean, it's like 
it's not fantastic, but when you were talking about CG animation and, and maybe maybe Jujutsu Kirsten was a bad call, I disagree, but whatever. Like, um, <laughs> like when you're talking about like CG and like that anime uses loads of CG in a really beautiful way that you just don't notice, and also there's a there's a surrealist as fuck like bit at the end where it feels like they're mating with planets, and it's all surrealism, all like all cg clearly cg as they go into like yin and yangs that form into balls and it's that kind of like um i guess you could go lsd infused imagery that you'd expect from uh infographics of like grateful dead uh music like it's all it's all sort of that stuff yeah. uh and then the other thing i was just going to bring up real quick i know it's not anime but um <laughs> midnight uh the midnight gospel Mm. Um, now that's I was going to bring that up also. Slash, uh, I can't remember. It's like a a video graphic of it's basically a podcast which is put to animation. It's a pre-existing podcast that then has additional lines recorded and is cut into like an adventure, an animation adventure where they he goes into like weird simulated worlds. The Duncan Trussell Family Hour is the podcast that it's, oh, it's that it's from. But that I like I. Midnight gospel, I treat like a, a fine wine. Like you can't take it all in at once. You have to watch an episode every now and then, and uh, it's fantastically surreal. Just completely weird worlds, and then weird shit happening. Like last one I watched is just they were in jail, and it was just a guy dying and then resetting his world, and then going and trying to do it again. It's a weird thing. So you're gonna say something? Yeah, that's it. That's episode five. No, I know I've watched all of it. For some reason, I keep watching more stuff that Pendleton Ward makes, even though I think that by accident, Adventure Time is the best thing he's going to make, or at least uh, be responsible for the creation of. But uh, no, I I do like that. And I think that specifically why Midnight Gospel would work um, is because the the dialogue is completely irrelevant and they establish very early on that the conversation they're having has no correlation whatsoever to what's actually going on in the visual and uh, narrative universe of, of the, of the episode. And so you you just kind of have, you just kind of have people having like the exact kind of conversation that in the before times, if you got stuck at a party with someone who's too drunk, but they can, but they cannot pick up that you are not invested in this conversation. They just keep talking to you about marijuana legalization or um, how they worked on, how they worked on learning magic in prison. Or the Zen and the self and the embodiment of yeah. reality. All these yeah. kind of like real Buddhist most of it feels like it's sort of leading to Buddhism and that Well he's very he's very interested in drugs and death and rebirth and spirituality and that yeah, it's Yeah, that that makes me think of the one CG anime which does kind of feel surreal to me, which is Land of the Lustrous. And in particular that that deals with rebirth and death and the the soul fracturing in strange ways, and but I think it also might read as uh uh sorry I don't mean to stomp on you yeah. I was just gonna say like, <laughs> I, I think it also draws heavily from like narrative traditions that we're just not familiar with and so they feel a lot more dreamlike than they probably would be if you were familiar with that kind of stuff like it's kind of like when uh uh director of dark souls who uh, has miyazaki. the name of the famous anime miyazaki thank you very much for some reason that was a name <laughs> i could not remember even though i'm on an anime podcast semi-regularly but 
like he he described writing Demon Souls as being a, try, trying to create an experience like he had reading Lord of the Rings before he really knew English yeah. very well, and so he would only get sort of like bits and pieces of the story, but it created this sort of like mystery world that he wanted to explore, and I think that that you know the, the sort of the fascination with another cultures like ephemera that you know is you know it, it you know it's you know it's old hat for us but for a different audience this is like whoa this is completely fresh and new and bizarre and i want to dive into this and i want to recreate this i think is a a fairly universally human experience even yeah. though you know if when you're a white guy you have the added baggage of being the you know history's col- you know, coloni- <laughs> colo- colonizer col- colonizer thank you <laughs> i can't speak today yeah, for some that's reason okay. And yeah, there's there's no, a whole bunch of extra baggage on top of that too. Uh, yeah, I was also just gonna sorry to go back to your point about CG Duncan. I was just gonna also mention that the argument that he had for why catsuit worked for surrealism was because it was cheaper to draw and it was just time. But now, but as we know that CG is cheaper than hand drawn, you then therefore make mm. the I would therefore make the assumption that if somebody was gonna do a surreal scene in CG, it would be even easier and more surreal. Because it is cheaper as a product. No, no, no. Because what makes 3D cheap is repetition of assets, things that perform exactly. in set ways. But if you, but if you think and about surrealism, like repetition of assets that is even now used in stuff like Monogatari, that is all CG stuff. Like, like the way the the opening of Monogatari is that staple, like, like a weird staple going through a CG world, all done cheaply because it is. No, it's CG. Like you can, you can, you can repeat assets to make it look weird and surreal. That's another like big thing that yeah, that clamps. Sort I of guess I guess I think it's does. it's very different from the the style Yuasa brings, which is is this fluidity to the drawings and th- and this uh, things often like. There's a scene in Cat Suit where they're walking across the the, the desert and they they climb up so, something and and the the camera shifts and they're suddenly just on like this sliver of um coloured screen and the rest's black and they start, that starts dropping away yeah. and that's something which is when you start trying to think of the physics of that it becomes uh, when you're just drawing it when it's just being expressed on a two D plane. It's something which makes sense, and I think actually maybe that's an another reason anime's so good at doing surreal stuff is because it can do that kind of uh, can do it can break space and time basically. Yeah, and anime can break space and time as it wishes and just subvert geometry, and I think that's why I worry about out out free dcg because it's it's tied to geometry it's tied to reality in a way that um just hand drawn isn't i i don't know i'm i'm i'm, I'm sure people it's maybe just a a, a luddism but <laughs> i've i that to, to the people who are going to be working with cg in 20 years time it will be like just getting a pencil out and sketching on a piece of paper it will be second nature to them and they will manipulate those things just as someone would manipulate line and colour today. Yeah. But it just feels far off my limited brain. In a lot of cases, like the, the decision to use CG is more of a financial one rather than a creative one. And Andy's right. Like you can absolutely do all kinds of 
crazy visual stuff with 3D CG. Like, there's nothing inherent about the medium that prevents you from doing it. But it also, like, the the market reality of, like, who is available to do that kind of stuff is limited. And, you know, the reason for using CG is that it's cheap. And the second you stop using it for that reason, it's going to be as expensive as everything else and be subject to those same pressures. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, I agree. And I see what you mean about, like, the hand-drawn versus 3D models. But I, I also feel that, like, it's so... Like, Beastars does really great stuff. We're now moving away completely entirely. But, yeah, Beastars does great stuff. Yeah, we're just talking about animation <laughs> now. With 2D and 3D, like, incorporated at the same time. Well, <laughs> with that... Let's go ahead and take a break, and then we'll come back to talk about Hyogemono, talk about Tonikawa, one of the currently airing anime, and some other stuff. Argue about Jutsu Kaisen. Oh, great, yeah. <laughs> Surrealism part two, after the break. <laughs> For the second half, we're going to start with some Jujutsu Kaisen, then move on to Tonikawa, and finish with Hyogemono. So, to start, uh, Andy, Duncan, is Jujutsu Kaisen surreal or merely fantastical? <laughs> I would say that there are heavily surreal elements within the latest episode that we watched, particularly the part where a man walks into a normal apartment building, you see him enter the door, and then the other side of the building, of the door, is a fucking beach paradise where the main villains are relaxing and having a lovely time in the sun and is this a sort of tardis thing or is it doors being in between places not just the insides and outsides of rooms something we saw in howls just a couple of weeks ago and i'm not sure i'd call howls I... moving castle surreal i would call it fantastical though i mean i would agree <laughs> we... with you but within the context of the anime where it's been very little surrealism and more about sort of establishing, as we've mentioned before, a a uh, a law with the world to do with curses. I would say that the sudden switch between the dank exterior of a building to a beautiful tropical paradise is surrealist. However, I would counter <laughs> that. Uh, and then also, also they played soccer with the guy's head. Yeah. But that was after credits. It's strange bits. That's still, like that's still like part saying of the anime, mate, isn't it? Still part well, of the well, anime. well. As a way to break out of this, can we start <laughs> with just like a brief synopsis of what's happened, of what the premise is, and what's happened for the yeah. episodes? Nothing detailed. Just like what's the show about? If people missed the last episode, Jujutsu Kaisen, the, the main guy. Um, there's supposedly curses in this world. Uh, the main guy, uh, Yuji Itadori. Yuji is is sort of part of an investigation, uh, supernatural investigation club which is only two other members. Um, who's also He also happens to just be incredibly strong and uh, athletic as well. Um, and uh, he then gets, due to various things, he then gets um, put in a situation of, of life or death. And the only way he could have survived was to eat a cursed, with shrivel, uh, shriveled thing, finger of a immensely powerful demon who then... Mm-hmm. Um, basically has possessed his body or he he has 
co-junction with this powerful demon in his body. He then um, starts, goes to another school and starts fighting for, um, fighting for them. And what we've basically seen is that traditional, fairly traditional shonen battle. It is a very traditional shonen pa- battle anime. Like Structurally, main, anyway. Structurally. The main guy is, is strong and lovable, and he's a good-natured person. He then, uh, he then gets into a situation. He then finds some abnormal power and grows incredibly strong by it. He then is brought into a... I mean, stop me when you've not heard this before. He's then brought into a group of other people who also have similar powers to him uh, so that he can fight. He fights one uh, enemy. It was very easy. He then fights... He then goes into a second um, fight, into a second scenario where he, he does not become so victorious. He actually gets scuppered very quickly uh, and... He realizes the weakness of his own powers because he does not understand the world that he's been thrust into. He merely just happened to luck out on the last two, purely based on his own natural ability and not his um, not understanding the skills on law of the world, in which he's then taught to learn those skills. Um, and the latest episode was a very also traditional um, shonen thing where. There is one incredibly powerful person on the good side in, like, I guess, inverted commas, uh, and the the manga, the events of a fight then showed the levels, skills, and abilities of his powers and how he is a very unbeatable OP uh, good force for good, um, which the bad guys, you we are then also led to believe is willing to is battling to overcome and planning to beat uh so it's very traditional in that sort of way but then the way that it is untraditional i think is the way that it actually amasses its powers so the powers are to do with curses so i mentioned this briefly on on our like private chat so jujutsu is that's the ju for curse jutsu which is like a fighting technique and then kaisen sort of means like of like rotational battles or it's a very like shonen term for basically like a battle show so it's an mm-hmm. interesting like word as a, as a fra- it's an untranslatable phrase as a title but would that actually reveals a lot in its native language as to what to expect but the fact that they are fighting not with like powers like the the apo- uh, alternative chakra or key or shinigami powers this time is it's actually powers of badness like he he fights by having negative emotions, which is very against the main character's sort of oeuvre, where he's a really happy, um, like a really happy guy. He's the nicest, like most adorable sweetheart ever, who's he's, always out to help. It's, it's basically someone um, watched Star Wars and figured out what if we did the opposite of Anakin and, and made him a <laughs> instead of, of like this surly annoying kid who turns to who everyone wants to be the good good saviour. What if we made a happy-go-lucky kid who gets drug, dragged into this underworld where negative emotions are what give you power? Um, and how his like desire to live without regret interacts in a world where your power comes from regrets and bad feelings. Yeah. Um, it's tautology that's very interesting as a conceit. But still wrapped within that battle shonen manga that makes it so palatable. Mm. It's, uh, 
I commented last time. It's it's a it's a lovely show to look at. It's it's and this this episode was a particularly uh, visually inventive one. Um, it, it like one that like I think uh, Demon Slayer uh, when we first watched that like like I don't watch that many shonen. So when I first watched Demon Slayer, uh, I was quite amazed at like how inventive it was with its camera and how willing it was to move through space Jujutsu Kaisen is is similar in in that in that it has these very people who fight within within a space not just on the ground against each other they're moving through this 3d environment and as you implied earlier on it uses a lot of uh 3d cg which in turn is is uh, interpreted through line work on top, in and this episode was just as basic as you say. It's unveiling the, the 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 fact that this guy really is OP, and it was <laughs> it was him just basically getting to show off for an episode. Uh, I and it was enjoy it was very enjoyable for that, and it was also I think it, it feels like it was the he fully explaining something where we had been it it was like capping off. The the antagonist of the series is the demon who's uh, fully uh, possessing the Yuji Ito- Itori. Yeah, um, um, and I I'll get his name in a bit if you yeah. can. Yeah. Uh, um, so he we're t- told throughout. Okay, he's this terrible, terrible demon who was so powerful. All they could do to break his power was chop off all his fingers and sort of. Throw them throughout the the land, scatter to the winds. It's kind kind of um, Sukuna is the yeah. It's kind of a bit demon. It's a bit Lord of the Rings. It's a bit, but instead of uh, rings, it's fingers. Um, (laughs) So it's and also instead of ten fingers, it's it's he has twenty. And that like they make the joke in the first episode. Are you sure they're not toes? And it's no. He he had two sets of arms and (laughs) twenty twenty fingers. And it's like okay, yeah, that guy really was a bit weird. but he, they've been building up throughout this just how sort of or if, or if he is able to reincarnate himself within the body of Itodori, just like what a terrible thing this would be because you'd have such a powerful and dangerous thing loose once again upon on the world. And all the time we've just been, okay, what's the, what is the counteract to that? Um, and the answer is... Um, it's his teacher. Um, I think it's Gojo or yeah, Gojo Satoru Gojo, who is just like his power is essentially the a vacuum he can place place things in between things so they can't interact with each other or place things in so they can't interact. Like it's kind of interesting that the the suit like the, the their Superman. His power is essentially to make things powerless. Like it's not that he's super strong; it's just that he can essentially stop cause and effect. That's kind of that's I like. That's a clever fighting power. That's like it's like. Yeah. And this episode they introduced us to the idea of um, innate domains, which are basically really powerful sorcerers or demons can basically project their innate curse upon the world and essentially create a, like a little pocket dimension where yeah it wasn't on the world it was on the person so it wasn't it wasn't to do with like the yeah, world the, itself it's the, the, the persons that they're fighting against yeah, they can they, have it they can force them into a void which is like 
the volcano man has the volcano land like full of lava and hot shit and it feels it they like i guess from an outsider they're just two people standing on like a bit of water or whatever but for them they are in a volcano yeah a, a um, little pocket dimension there. and yeah. like i think this is why i i, I would sort of push back against you calling this surreal because it they construct these these domains they they are very much a they are, they are literally a manifestation of their that is their powers and neurosis made into a location in a fair few japanese shows which are concerned with spirits and stuff there's a strong emphasis on locations as and uh, spirits being associated with a specific location. What's interesting here is essentially a person projecting a location. So it's it's yeah. like a reverse of that normal. It's, it's saying this this spirit essentially takes you to the place where they are most themselves and what which epitomizes them. And so seeing how the, these being very real, like psychic landscapes. Yeah, but I, 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 my my point of the surrealism is that the the fact that they can project these pocket dimensions, and also especially that ultimate void. I can't remember the exact name of it. The imagery of uh, like black holes spinning round with galaxies is sort of like being torn to pieces round in a halo round them is a very trippy trippy image. And like, oh, were you gonna? Is it? And the two thousand and one the space odyssey wormhole yeah. effect, which yeah, fair enough. I'll let you have yeah, that it just one. Means surrealism, and then also just, just like it, it feels weird watching it, and then it gets explained, and just because because the explanations there doesn't take away from the surrealism. Yeah, um, it's it's like he, he talks about like how how you see what what you are now experiencing. You are experiencing everything, and so everything is also nothing. And it's, it's... but then also just the way like, like it was funny. So the way that they get he unveils his ultimate technique is through his eyes. So he has a yeah. blindfold on. Gojo has a blindfold on all the time, um, and then he reveals his eyes, and the eyes are basically tiny moon, full moons, which was absolutely like a really shocking um, effect within its like the way it was revealed because it's quite simple line drawings and like it's detailed but it's not simple but then the the visuals of the eye itself yeah was like a complete it was almost photorealistic like the way that they drew the like, anime does like a, a well-drawn eye but the, yeah. these these were these were gems these were sparkling portals into something else and and it's that this is actually something i was going to ask you about andy i i'm not sure if it's just like i don't have the shonen vocabulary to to really speak about the show but i thought it has quite um feminine designs for a lot of its um heroes comparative to most like he's he's very bishy he's very pretty like the the the, the thing the thing that made when we and mids were watching it when he took off his glasses, this was just like, oh, of course he's hot. Like he's a hot, <laughs> he's a hot guy. He's he's really quite hot. Um, and I would actually say it is interesting. Um, I don't know who the author is, but um, yeah, it's interesting because the the female is also uncharacteristically not cute. I actually quite like that about her. She is a very a sort of girl. male. Yeah. 
she has a very male... It feels like she's got a very male frame, kind of, but still a very feminine looks, but then sort of mushed in a way that feels realistic, but also doesn't feel conventionally attractive or what you conventionally would see in sort of moe anime, um, if you understand what I mean by that, mm. Duncan. Just um, that. <laughs> <laughs> I Yeah, so... Um, what was her name? Uh, Nobara Kugisaki, which is then highlighted by the fact that she... The first time you see her, she's in um, the fashion district of Tokyo, which yeah. names escape me. Uh, and she's trying to get scouted by like an idol scout. <laughs> and he's just like trying to creep away and she grabs him. And... <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> like, like, why are you... Uh, and, the fact that, and the other thing is obviously um, the, the, the other student we're, we're introduced to is called Megumi, but it's, it's a boy and it with a girl's name, which can... Yeah. And like... I, he he again has a very very bishy design, very delicate, and it's, it's interesting. Like you have, apart from um, Itadori, most of the, the the men we've we've met, met so far are very uh, tall, thin. Whereas Itadori's kind of like a a, a traditional or mas- masculine male, but he is also the one who navigates this space with the most fear and the most um lack of lack of of power and so you've got the typically masculine figure is the powerless and scared one and you've got these feminine um bishy boys who are fearless superheroes and yeah yeah, i've I've enjoyed it a lot because it's i I, so the artist is called gegege akutami i wonder how much of that is is um Sort of, or he just thinks it's a cool design. I mean, there's also a panda <laughs> in this anime. Like, it's true. <laughs> there is a, pa- um, a panda. But also, I mean, Megami is also interesting that it's a female name for a male character, which is also something that he brings up as well. Um, that's how he doesn't. That character doesn't. Like the guy, his dad didn't even care about his name. He just gave it a random name. Didn't even care about the gender of the baby. Um, but yeah, overall, I think this series is really. A great shonen show that deals that has some interesting place things, and I look forward to seeing where it's going to go. To the last thing I'll say about it is it has a. I mentioned last time it has a, a lovely uh, OP in terms of uh-huh. its animation, and that is even more than the series itself. It's almost all three DCG, and which is incredible. But uh, if you look carefully, you can see it. It's there's a huge amount of. Of of it to it and like it's it's some of the most beautiful um, fine modeling I've I've seen and they use light really well because um, yeah, no, there's uh, the scene in it like the central sort of like scene they go back to is is actually a very surreal one where <laughs> in the, the, he's sitting in a, a subway carriage. Um, yeah. Sort of like slumped over half asleep, and the bottom of the carriage is flooded, and there's a fish swimming around. And yeah. like, as they they have him passing through all these, like that that when you're in a train and it's passing in an urban area, and you're passing different buildings and different bits of the the lighting is obstructed, and you, that seeing that change of light both on the figure and on the water is very beautiful. And like, they clearly have some very talented people there with cg in terms of of creating these beautiful images and as you say like the it's which is then juxtaposed by the ending song which is very much yeah 
Which is... uh, and also complete field photoscopes as well. Um, with Quite possibly. I, um... yeah, it's just very, very <laughs> enjoyable ED as well. Just like them... Uh... I think it's called Lost. I think it's very catchy as well. Lost, in, Lost in Paradise. Yeah, it's just them basically yeah. being teenagers and going out and shopping, like <laughs> like walking around with bags of shopping and putting brill cream on their hair before they head out, and it makes them very adorable. Yeah, yeah. It sonifies them well. Anyway, moving on to the next show. Indeed. Yeah, uh, another currently airing show. What's the full title for Tony Kawa, Jeff? Uh, Tony Kawa. Tony Kawa. Over the over moon, the moon for, you. for you. Yeah. Um, this it is... looks not like your kind of thing, so tell me about why you're watching it. Uh, I wish I could tell you, honestly. <laughs> I, I originally started watching it because it seemed like such a dumb premise. So, essentially what happens is this high school kid is walking down the street one day, and his, this kid is named Nessa, uh, because his parents are weird, like... Like you know, as is the, you know, the the show's explanation is, his parents are weirdos. They wanted to give him a cool name, uh, so they were like, "Oh, Starry Sky." It's it's such a beautiful name, which happens to be NASA, which then sounds like you know, it's a it's a false cognate of the American Space Agency, and so he becomes like extremely self conscious about his own like, you know. Wanting to be like you know this high achiever because he's like I'm going to get to space before NASA like you know and did I just interject there Jeff the, go ahead um... and he let him finish the synopsis <laughs> and okay and then he what are you like, doing? runs into and, no no wait no wait no wait we're not we're gonna stop Andy what was so important that you had to interrupt Jeff mid synopsis to say well he was talking about the name right yeah it's a weird uh-huh. name so in Japanese uh, a weird name is called a kirari name which means like a sparkle name like the sun like the sun or yeah. the stars. So it and, also makes sense. Okay. It's something that's okay. lost in translation. Okay. But I mean, they, they make it explicit where he says like, yeah, my, my parents gave me this dumb name. And now he has like a complex about, you know, wanting to be normal, but also wanting to be a high achiever. And he's walking down the street one day and he like falls in love at first sight with this girl on the street. And he's running across the road to meet her and he gets hit by a truck. And... But she, like, jumps in the way and saves him, and, you know, you could tell he's very badly injured because, you know, it's anime and there's, like, you know, blood shooting out of the top of his head. And he tells her that he loves her, and then she says, I'll only accept your confession if you marry me, and he's like, sure. And then he, like, she disappears for three years, and he goes through painful rehabilitation and sort of, like, dedicates his life to trying to find her. And then one day she just shows up at his door Mm. with a marriage certificate saying, all right, we're going to do this thing. And that's the first 15 minutes of the first episode. Uh, Oh, yeah. And and her name (laughs) is uh, Tsukasa Tsukiyomi, which uses the characters for like ruler of the moon. And they 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 do all of these Mm -hmm. like little things that make you you hint at the it's not so much subtle as they specifically say repeatedly that, oh, she's kind of like Kaguya Hime. That's weird. And again, this is the first like 20 minutes of the first episode. And then everything after that is just this kind of like very wholesome edutainment show about like very humdrum mundane issues that might come up if you just got married. And so like the second half of the first episode is, oh, we got to like go buy a futon from the Don Quixote. And just like talking about like, you know, oh, this one has this kind of stuffing and this one has this kind of stuffing. And, you know, in this kind of climate, that's good because it breathes because it's a natural fiber. And then 
every episode after that is just like it's basically just these two people working out how they're gonna like live their life and just sort of like glancing over the fact that like oh these are like two teenagers who just randomly got married without even knowing each other's names but that is all just like an elaborate framing device for oh this is what it's like to have uh you know your your honeymoon in Kyoto and making sure that you don't have an like a relationship ending fight and you know there is the like this Ojo sama like princess girl who is like fixated on the Sukasa character because she's like oh it's like she's my sister and I don't approve of this and you know you get the some Nanami vibes off of her of like you know why did she choose her and not you no know, why did she choose him and not me kind of energy from her but again she's just there to like create an inciting incident in an episode that then mostly concerns itself with oh this is like you know you should try interesting food when you're at a rest stop in a place that you don't recognize don't just like fall back on the thing that you are used to and it's it's a very 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 strange show and i'm like that first episode i thought it was going to be more of a like like uraser yatsuri sort of vibe but like all of that just kind of goes away and like, you know, and a lot of it is about them being kind of awkward and getting over, like getting to know each other. And it almost just seems like, you know, oh, if we just made the show about like our parents made us get married because, you know, for some elaborate reason, we're going to have an arranged marriage. Like it would have like served just as well, but they chose to go with this like weird thing where it's like, oh, maybe she's a supernatural being from the moon. You know, we go we go to the the house that she's been living in, and they have like a moon rock, uh, like you know, being preserved in a nitrogen tank, and like they go into like five minutes of like this is how this like nitrogen tank preserves this moon rock and why it's important, and oh no, it got broken, and now we got to fix it, and like it, it, it's, it's it's just such a bizarre show, and there's like it's based on a manga that has like fifteen volumes and is like generally well, uh, well received, so it's like. You know, there's an appetite for this, and I'm I'm watching it, just trying to figure out why is this a thing? Like, what's going on here? Like, you know, I mean, you've mentioned this before because Abe wants everyone to uh, a get married, b have lots of children. So that obviously <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, I was resisting like bringing so... up the invisible hand of Shinzo Abe once again. <laughs> R.I.P. to a real one. I guess he's still alive. Yeah. He's just gonna quit pretty soon. <laughs> it, it does definitely seem like, I mean, I'm noticing this more and more where I'm just like, wow, the mangaka had his assistants do a bunch of research and he just does not want to leave that out of the manga. <laughs> yeah. and, then the, and then the anime adapts it because why yeah, not? It's... Why cut it out? And like, and like the animation wanna... quality is very bad. Like it's very cheap on anime. And, and if I'm saying that, you know, it's true because like I usually have a very forgiving like reaction to production quality, but this show is not very good looking. But it has a very good OP. It's also just boring, boring art, boring looking character designs, like yeah. kind of drab pseudo pastel colors. It's very, it's a decision that's yeah. undeniable. Very and typical, yeah, like shoujo esque vibe. Yeah, um, yeah, that isn't, I guess, particularly inspired. But like, not even like interesting, like a lot of shoujo. Like it just it just looks like you know random anime like you know shoujo usually it's like everything is like a little bit weirder like people are like stretched out or bigger eyes or anything like that but no I didn't even do that it's just it looks like you know some fifteen year olds anime drawing before they actually know how to draw very well yeah it, it, it's it's like a thing where you put in a lineup of other shows and you probably wouldn't be able to tell out which one it is between mm-hmm. like so many other shows this season alone. Um, 
But yeah. But yeah, but, but like. That shouldn't detract it. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It's like it was just basically like, oh, they got married before they knew each other, and I was like, okay, like maybe there was going to be some kind of like hijinks here, and not. It's just a very like sedate, wholesome show about these two awkward kids getting to know each other. And like, and, and like, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, maybe this is going to be like a subversion of like, you know, the Lum kind of thing, where it's like, you know, she moves forcibly moves in, and then he's a dirtbag, and then there's lots of like slapstick there, and yeah, there's just there's nothing like that. And like, there's a whole episode where the you know the Ojo sama little sister wants to like discredit him, so she like kidnaps him and is trying to like get him to be in these compromising situations, and they're taking pictures of him and stuff, and. Then, you know, Tsukasa shows up and she's like, what's going on here? And, you know, you, you know, you, you expect the next beat to be she sees the pictures and everybody freaks out. But then she's like, oh, I don't think this is real. I, like, obviously, this is a big setup that you've, like, concocted for some reason and I don't believe it. So I'm just going to leave now. And it's like, OK, that's that's sort of refreshing and interesting. But again, no, no real payoff. It's like it's a very weird show. It's very strange. I don't recommend anybody watching it, but I'm going to keep watching it for some reason. I mean, you've got me interested. I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna check it out. Um, it's one of those shows which feels like it has a very interesting um, setup, and then, and then it probably delivers in stranger ways that you don't expect. Like, just delivers in strange ways. I mean, it might be. We're, I think it's seven episodes in now, and it's basically the weirdest it's ever got has been in the first five minutes of the first episode. Hmm. That's good for Andy, though. He'll get all the best stuff. Yeah, but, I mean, I mean, like, Dragon Maid does that a lot, I feel. Like, Dragon Maid, it's, it, apart from the fact that they're dragons, there's not very, very much surrealism, but then there is a, a massive fight between two dragons about seven episodes in. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, yeah, no, they are dragons, aren't they? They're not just cute moe blobs. <laughs> <laughs> they're, literal, they're literal, like, humongous lizards with uh, mage powers or whatever the fuck they have. Mm-hmm. But yeah, even Dragon Maid, they don't just spend half of an episode explaining, you know, how to get registered at your local, like, ward office, like, in a very step-by-step. Like, it almost <laughs> seems like the manga was like, had just gotten married and was like, I learned all of these things and I'm not letting it go to waste. <laughs> I have to get content out of this. I mean, to be fair, it is a bitch. Like, <laughs> I, I yeah, it seems like it. Um, but it also feels sort of like similar to like you know those Doctor like Doctor Stone where it, it like it's like hey do you guys want to know about chemistry and science because fucking hell I do and I know all this stuff and I'm gonna tell you <laughs> yeah it, it, it's, it's like that but with but with marriage procedures <laughs> yeah mm. basically yeah uh, which, that's basically what it is if it teaches kids to do their tax returns I guess that's a good thing right. <laughs> I've never done a tax return in my life. It doesn't that shit don't really matter in England. Well, <laughs> well uh, speaking of mangaka's doing a lot of research and wanting to show it off in in the body of their work, <laughs> uh, I've been watching Kyogemono. Um, it's actually been a kind of weird situation where I was recommended it. I was recommended it by a friend. I recommended it to Jeff. Jeff watched it all and then re recommended it to me, and I'm slowly plugging <laughs> through it. Uh, <laughs> It is a anime about uh, the end of the Sengoku Jidai, specifically the rise of Oda Nobunaga, um, his assassination and replacement by a, a Toyotomi Hideyoshi, and Hideyoshi's defeat and the final codification of the uh, 
of the shogunate system that lasted until the 19th century uh, by uh, Yesu Tokugawa. So, um, but it's told specifically from the perspective of a minor herald and envoy named, uh, is it Furuta Sasuke? Yeah. Yeah, Furuta Sasuke, um, who uh, is not an not an appreciably important person by by any definition of the word he he rules a tiny fief of a hundred koku a koku being a unit of um of accounts that is the amount of rice needed to feed one person for a year so um he has a very small estate at at some point close to where i am right now it gets expanded to 200 koku and he still cannot afford to uh s- supply a 50 person military contingent on a on a campaign so he's he's a very small time samurai lord uh but very close to oda nabunaga and very obsessed with beautiful artifacts and in fact in this version of uh of sengoku jidai japan created by uh was it yoshihiro yamada is the is the mangaka um of the the original source manga um everybody is just wild about like tea teapots and teacups and uh tea scoops and all sorts of things. Armor. Everyone is just an absolute, either they're an over the top athlete or they don't care at all, but they're trying to fake it because everyone else is an over the top athlete. Uh, and so. Is that, is that the story where they like, they find a kettle that got exploded or something. Yeah. That, yes. That's, that's like the same... first three episodes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I've watched a bit of this. I thought it was quite dull. Continue. Uh, it is definitely, it is definitely a historical drama. Uh, if that's what you mean. Um, I think it's it's very interesting because on the one hand, uh, it is very interested in doing these precise like e- e- there are title screens virtually every scene of like what month and year it is, where they are, who is there, um, and at the same time, and Jeff and Duncan unfortunately know because I've complained com- complained amply. Um, Yoshihiro Yamada in the manga has basically written a completely different version of the way that 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 events played out from Nobunaga's fall to Tokugawa's rise, uh, where uh, uh, Akechi Mitsuhide, the vassal of Obunaga, who eventually assassinates him for reasons that we as historians don't know today. um, He is, in fact, being manipulated by Hideyoshi, who is, in fact, being manipulated by uh, Sinosuke, who is uh, Nobunaga's tea master and... Kind of a, I don't know. How would you describe Suki's worldview, uh, so, Jeff, as someone who's watched the whole show? I, okay, I haven't watched the whole show, but I've watched uh, oh, almost the, the whole show. show. More so, like a lot of like basically the whole show is about the conflicting aesthetics of the like sort of very homegrown Japanese wabi sabi aesthetic of, uh, like the simple beauty of used and damaged things. Versus Nobunaga's uh, like very ostentatious, you know, very foreign influenced tastes, and his also his uh, ambition to, you know, not only just stop at Japan, but also launch attacks on Korea and China, and a lot of the liberties being taken with history seem to exist mostly to like illustrate this conflict of aesthetics as being the driving force of all of these events. And the, the tea master is like sort of, you know, he is the like 
the ultimate sort of like hipster off, you know, authenticity is everything kind of guy. And he's just like completely put off by like, you know, you know, the ostentatious tastes and like, you know, elaborate clothing and all this. Like he, like, he, like, you know, he doesn't have any real beef about it beyond it just offends him aesthetically. And so he manipulates people to, uh, to, you know, to, as his cat's paws to basically, you know, move the neck of the of the the head of the Japanese system to sort of impose his values on everyone. And if he suspects that the people he's manipulating are a you know straying from his one true vision, he will then concoct a new scheme to either shame them or just kill them off entirely. And Sasuke is sort of like he's sort of a guy caught in the middle because he he he's depicted as having good taste, but not having like a real, you know, ideology behind it. Like, uh, the tea master does. And he is this, like, he's sort of caught in between because like he, he loves all of the, like the wacky styles of Nobunaga, but he also loves the, uh, you know, the validation and attention that he gets for aping the tea master style. I keep calling him the tea master. Cause I can't remember his name. Sekio. Uh, Senoseki or Seki. Yeah. And he S S O U E K I is the is the romanization. Okay. Seki. And he just kind of like Mr. Beans his way through these like elaborate uh like political schemes going on in the background just trying to sort of like you know flex his drip and be a hit at parties without really understanding, you know, all of the, you know, all the intrigue that's going on behind him. Yeah, it's it, like I said, it's very interesting that there are these specific historical details and he's very much interested in the in the material particulars of the aesthetic objects. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very interesting that we that at least as far as I've gotten, which is about a dozen episodes in out of 39 total. This aired back in 2013 and no one paid attention. I hadn't heard about it until now. No one paid attention to it, it seems. Um, probably because it was dull, as Andy said. <laughs> yeah. uh, although I don't, I don't find it particularly dull. Um, I have a more issue with with the way they're changing history, but we'll get to that in a bit. But it's interesting that we we our viewpoint character is Sasuke, who has who has a very has a relatively developed sense of aesthetics, but but more so like a sort of upwardly. He's trying to find people he respects, find out what their what their aesthetic tastes are, so that he can understand them and internalize them. And mm. which means that he does have a bit of a, a buffet thing where he, he does appreciate some of Nobunaga's flashier stuff, but he also appreciates the older stuff. And when he meets one of Senoseki's uh, uh, apprentices and he tells him about the, the three like great tier tea jars that will allow someone to rule Japan because of just how, what supreme objects of art they are. Um, he like takes that as gospel. And for the rest of the show, at least as far as I've watched, he's just repeating what he's already heard from this guy. So there is this kind of, like a sort of a polyglot aesthetic sensibility that he's got going on that is in contrast to when uh, Senoseki convinces Hideyoshi to um, mastermind the assassination of Odo Nobunaga uh, because yeah no comment Um, (laughs) he, he like specifically says that like my vision like I don't like like these imperfection like I I envision a world that's black like black is the color. black is flawless black is pure black is is the essence of aesthetics is 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 homogenous 
and absolute and you like a black you can't see like black obscures features obscures imperfections it is it is literally just like cover the world in paint um but with with this sort of black sensibility and so we have these dueling aesthetics which are very interesting i'm just i don't know why this is being told during the sengoku period (laughs) and besides besides that apparently a lot of research was done into the objet d'art that arise around the codification of the tea ceremony and the reification of the object particulars of the tea ceremony into examples of aesthetic supremacy, so to speak. I don't know. It's been very interesting. It's just very frustrating that I have assumptions of what events are going to happen um, based both on my history reading and on reading. I read um, Eiji uh, Yoshikawa's uh, Taiko, um, which is a, basically a kind of heavily fictionalized biography of, uh, pardon, of Toyotome Hideyoshi. And it's been very interesting to like, speaking of expectations being upset uh, with surrealism, it's very interesting to watch this and to be like, okay, I know what's going to happen here. And it doesn't happen, but it's been freighted with all these like dates and places. And when they talk about like, the like Hanoji incident and they're like three days until he arrives at Hanoji. I'm like, okay, so this is when, when, uh, Akechi Mitsuhide is going to assassinate him. Um, and of course, like there is some of the details, but like it ends up that actually Hideyoshi does the deed and Mitsuhide gets framed. So it's this very weird, this very weird mix of like extremely scrupulous historical footnoting and also just telling a story that besides the material aspects doesn't really seem to have to be specifically these historical figures in this setting. It sounds like he read a biography of Sinoseki and then built out this kind of fantasy of like, what if, what if a world where this guy was the one pulling all the puppet strings and it ends up that that world does not line up very well with what actually happened. (laughs) Uh, But it's still, it's still interesting and it's a very it's a very eccentrically presented show just in general and not eccentric in as a, as a, a sort of dog whistle for, for surreal or absurd, but just like there is definitely a very distinct vision going on. I like looked up the, the director and like, he is known for uh, the dominion tank police OVAs and uh, noir and dot hack uh, the dot hack series, which he directed the first, the first, uh, four seasons of it's just a very interesting it's a weird mix i can see why it didn't get more acclaim but it is interesting at least and i am always in the mood for historical dramas um oh he also directed the dirty pair movie uh duncan so (laughs) there's that too project eden is it not the case and i like i said i watched this few episodes when it aired and dropped it um back in 2016 so my memory is sketchy at best 13 um, 13. Uh, is it not a case that he is the narrator as well? So is it not a case of uh, not revisionist, revisionist history, but, mis- but history from an uh, from an un- what's the word? Unreliable a narrator. Unreliable narrator. Unreliable narrator. Thank you. Um, no, I don't think, I don't believe so. Also, At the I very... remember a lot of it kind of being comedy or is it not a case there is a lot of comedy there there is a lot of i think i specifically said um 
it there's a lot of Joseph Joestar. Oh my god. Oh my god. But, yeah. Yeah, I, I was sold on this show, but it was like lots of good faces. <laughs> yes. There's a lot of just like bold, bulged eyes and like sweating and like weird contorted mouths as he's just like overcome with just undescribable, un, unbearable emotion whenever he sees anything artistic. It's very, it's a very weird yeah. choice, that, but it's distinctive, which is, and, I appreciate at least. And it, it makes Sasuke an interesting main character because he is like so driven by his passions and so flawed by this that... You know, he's he's by no means like like a perfect man. And it, you know, it, it creates these passions that make him an interesting character for this for this era and for this like, you know, for the setting. Because like, you know, he is like, you know, he's a competent warrior and everything else. But he's also just this like totally off the walls bananas for these, you know, aesthetic objects. Yeah, there, there's a, there are two specific instances that I think of that are very good at char- characterizing Sasuke. And the first is when he catches a rebellious vassal sneaking out of uh, a besieged uh, castle, and he and the vassal, uh, he's like, "I'm not going to let you go." And he's like, "How about this wonderful teacup?" And he accepts the teacup, and that becomes like one of the specific things that makes him believe himself to be less honorably devoted to Nobunaga, specifically because he allowed. A, man, a, a a traitor to escape in exchange for an exceptionally beautiful teacup. And then later on, Nobunaga rewards him for a, a different example of service. And he offers them him this really fine. I forget what it was, what it is, Jeff, but it's like a fine, like a, a very fine, uh, like teapot or something, or a bunch of money that he could use to like build up his fief, which is he's, he's caught between this, like, I really love art, but I need to like build a household and build a, build a dynasty that mm-hmm. I could, that can support myself and my family. But also I really want art. And so he eventually takes the art and Nobunaga's like, aha, well, I'll give you both. Um, you should, this shouldn't be such a hard decision for you, Sasuke. Um, and so those are, those both are very, very interesting and well communicated, but no, I don't think that there's an unreliable narrator because there's a lot of stuff that, that Sinoseki couldn't possibly know. Um, and mm-hmm. there are episodes that are narrated by him, but there are also just scenes of Sasuke fucking around and getting kicked out of a, getting kicked out of a castle after having failed to satisfy a woman sexually uh, <laughs> to get her to surrender, uh, which is a, a very weirdly underplayed scene where she's, where she's just like, I've, I'm a warrior, but if this is the night I'm going to die, we should lay together. And then like it cuts and she's just like turns over and she's like, well, that's it. And he's like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> and then she, and then she's like, I can't die. Like I can't die with that having been the last sex of my life. And she like leaves the cat. It's very, it's very funny. Um, <laughs> it is a weird, it is a weird mix of humor and this sort of very, very dark, like sense of the cosmos informed by these absolutist aesthetics that, can, can I ask a quick question of, of, of about these absolute aesthetics? About you, you mentioned uh, uh, wabi sabi and mm-hmm. wabi sabi, yeah, and that's it. Likes likes imperfect things like these. Uh, would prefer like this handmade worn bowl to something which is perfect and and pristine. Like mm-hmm. as this this is probably me overthinking, but. Is it an imperfect history? Uh, he's 
something which would be acceptable to Wabi Sabi? I'm sure if you were a journalist interviewing interviewing the mangaka, he would be very pleased that you asked that question. <laughs> I am not entirely sure that it's intentional. I do like what I do like about Sinoseki's things about his, about his philosophy is that he has such an absolute fetishism of Wabi Sabi uh, about the idea of transience and imperfection and things things getting damaged or worn by use. Um, and he sees the oppositeness, opposite of that being Nobunaga's flashiness where he's like wearing like European armor and like ridiculous capes and like European ruffs, like the big, like Elizabethan frills. And he sees ostentation as opposite to Wabi Sabi. And therefore that pushes him towards his own sort of like absolutist perfectionism, which is that like the, the idea of blackness of like, Black is the only color that can never be ostentatious. Therefore, black is the black is the ideal of Wabi Sabi, even though like black also hides imperfections. So it also black is like a pure absolute black is also the antithesis of Wabi Sabi. If you look at it from a different angle, but he's so invested in this reaction to gaudiness and ostentation that he doesn't necessarily see the compromises. And I don't know if that's me talking out of my ass for what happens later, Jeff, but that's definitely something I've reacted to. I mean, that's, I think that's like that. It's never explicitly stated, but there's definitely a sense that like, I sort of read Sasuke as sort of like, as a personification of Japan itself in that it's being affected by these two poles and these two sort of, uh, like contradicting visions for like, like universalism and ostentation versus like, closing the borders and making everything very pure and making everything very ascetic. And he is just kind of a, like a synthesis of both of these things. And so he's, you know, he enjoys ostentation. He enjoys the, you know, he enjoys the fun and the the beauty, but also has an appreciation for like the Wabi Sabi. Like he could see, like, like he could see sort of like the, the benefits of both and sort of incorporates both of them despite, you know, these two opposing views trying to impose themselves on like on, on the nation itself with, but it Mm -hmm. never really, you know, really taking one way or the other. And the only way that it can happen either way is through like extreme violence and through extreme authoritarian rule. And I think that is, sort of like the the heart of the story of like you know this you know the reason it's at you know toad at this point is that japan was kind of at a crossroads you know you either we're gonna have you know nobunaga taking over and you know there's you know this is obviously like you know historical counterfactuals like who knows what the momentum of history would really look like but if nobunaga had actually you know secured his victory and then turned outwards you know how different would japan have been you know in the in the world stage versus you know the Tokugawa is taking over, closing the borders, and having you know, and introducing three hundred years of isolation. Yeah, and it's and it is inter- like a it's there are common like Japanese kids kids uh, rhymes that they're taught in school to like Nobunaga versus Hideyoshi versus uh, versus Tokugawa, which one of them is is uh, is Nobunaga made the pie, Hideyoshi baked it, and Tokugawa ate it, or um, when asked how to make a, a caged bird sing, uh, Nobunaga said, kill it. Hideyoshi said, make it want to sing. And Tokugawa said, wait. So there are these ideas. There's already built into like the Japanese cultural consciousness, the idea of these 
differing philosophies of rulership. And in that respect, it is very interesting to see them kind of flipped over into this bizarro mirror side where the people that we would consider the the minor vassals, the tea, the tea uh, masters um, also have these conflicting ideas of power and rulership that they are projecting onto the conflict, just like the rulers are projecting the conflict onto the culture and policy. So I'm excited. I'm interested to watch more. It's just, it's a slow show. And I'm also watching the like Chinese 2010 three kingdoms, which is also long and slow. So I kind of messed up with what I, with what I have on deck right now. Uh, Your plate is slowly, it's like a slow cooker of uh, yeah. media. <laughs> I mean, I've wa- I've watched a lot of nominally very boring stuff and enjoyed it, and I don't think this is at all boring. It's more the thing that makes it most difficult, besides the, like the complete, just like sometimes weird flaunting of historical details. It's just like it's it wildly swings between comedy and drama in a way that I think only really Japanese anime does at times, where we have yeah we have Sasuke having basically a seizure about seeing a broken fragment of a of a of an ex- exceptionally beautiful teapot lid um and then just after is like nobunaga getting cut in half and then putting himself back together to serve tea that's actually kind of silly too i don't know it's very weird is it is it uh, not just a case with this historical facts is it, is it not just a case of it's like yeah it's a comedy so the idea that the no, you're expecting no. you're expecting this event to play out in a certain way and then it doesn't isn't that part of the comedy itself no no it's not <laughs> Like, no. like, if, if it is, uh, I don't it's, think so. He... Very, 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 very subtle, and I don't think that's what they're going yeah. for. No, they they well, go I for mean... they go for legitimate Andy. They go for like legitimate drama and stuff. When like Hideyoshi convinces Mitsuhide to rebel against Nobunaga, which there's no like the idea of Hideyoshi as like the bagman for a, a coup or coup orchestrated by the tea master is ridiculous in in and of itself. But he like they have a, a fairly like graphic and dramatic scene where he like secretly stabs himself so that he can like wince and cry in pain at the thought that Nobunaga is going to be going to be ruining the country. And it's not played for laughs at all. It's entirely just like, look at how, look at how dedicated Hideyoshi is to his idea of like power and rule that he's willing to like literally stab himself in the side with a small knife so that he's able to give authentic tears when convincing someone to, to betray their Lord. It's, it's, it is. It is like there are silly parts, but it does, the show does have a fairly stark demarcation between humor and drama, and the humor tends to drive the commentary, and the drama tends to drive the plot. I think is what is the general division for me. Fair point. Fair point. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this one up. Um, remember, rate, review, rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Find us on Twitter. Search for Keyframes Pod. Find us on Facebook, Keyframes Podcast. Email us questions, keyframespodcast at gmail.com. Tune in for our next episode where we're going to be discussing movie sequels and spinoffs, good or bad. And, of course, tell a friend. Listen to this with a friend. And and don't just tell any friend, Ben. Tell the friend that you last went to a tea ceremony with. (laughs) Because uh, they're probably pretty cool dudes. And then lambast them when they do the tea ceremony wrong and or their historical knowledge. <laughs> take, take that friend who you're walking down the street and he sees an exceptionally good dress and he just like falls to his knees and starts crying and gagging and foaming at the mouth because he's just so moved uh-huh. by how well made that dress is. 
that seems like a pretty good guy to hang out with. That seems like, a, seems like a, yeah. a, an emotionally stable guy who is fun <laughs> and cool. <laughs> and we and would be we would gladly have as a, one of our listeners. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. If you have a if you have an advanced sense of aesthetics, you should definitely be listening to Keyframes, yeah. a podcast about <laughs> anime. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. goodbye. <laughs> I think we failed to make that a short one, but <laughs> don't we ever?